conviction of his truth that we profess. Just open your mouth and just thank God. Just thank God. Father, we worship you. We thank you for the truth that is embedded in this drama. The entrance of your word gives us light and it gives us understanding. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this sacrifice that is beyond what the mind can even comprehend. It's a mystery so deep that only the Holy Ghost can open our eyes to see. We thank you, Lord, because this, your word, is true. And we will live in the reality of this sacrifice. This blood that was exchanged for our lives. This blood that cleanses us. This blood that was shed in order for us to have peace. We say thank you. We glorify your name and we thank you for giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit. As we turn to your word, Father, we ask that may this truth be amplified more in our lives. That we will live in the knowledge of this truth for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus Christ's name we have prayed. Hallelujah. Turn with me quickly to Luke chapter 24. Today we'll be talking about the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ. Continue from the teachings we've started before about uh, the light of the gospel. The light of the gospel. We're trying to comprehend the facts. The, the realities of the gospel. The facts that is contained in the gospel message. The reason why we are here today. The reason why we are believers. And the gospel is a story of Jesus Christ. That is why we name it Christology, the study of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now behold, two of them, I read from the New King James Version, it says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they walked together of all these things which had happened. They talked together, rather, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is that? Is this that you have, that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas, Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you only a stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? Verse 19, which is a very critical verse and I want you to see. And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today is a third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that, rather, when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have, said, have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning from Moses, or beginning at Moses, and all the prophets, he expounded, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. May the Lord bless the reading of his word in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. He says it is necessary, it is important, it is of greater advantage that the Christ should suffer. Hallelujah. That the Christ should suffer. So the suffering of the Christ is not an accident. It was what was 
predetermined from the foundation of the earth. The Bible says that he was slain before the foundation of the world. Hallelujah. So when he came into humanity, which we saw last week, we said that Jesus is a man, right? He's a man and he is God. Divinity came into contact with humanity, giving birth to Christ, amen, who live upon this earth. And in living upon the earth, he lived amongst us. And as John will say, we saw his glory, we touch, we see. You know, we saw, we experienced him. And then he was crucified. It was necessary that the Christ should suffer. He asked them a question in verse 19. He says, and he said to them, what things? What things? What things? Because they are saying, look at verse 18. He says, then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And many of us are in the inferior of the season of Easter. Okay, Jesus died. He was buried. And today is Sunday. He resurrected. And we have this information. But what do you really know about the story of the resurrection Christ? Resurrected Christ. What do you know about the Easter story? What does it mean to you? What does this message, what does this, this event, it's an event that happened in history. It's not uh, a story that was orchestrated out of the blues. It was what really happened. Probably next week, I'm going to take us into some you know, forensic analysis in order to ascertain whether Jesus Christ really was buried or really whether he died or not. But this is a fact that happened in history. What does this story mean to you? What does this event mean to you? The disciples could not believe what the scripture says about the Christ in verse 11. You see, and their words seemed to them like idol tales, and they did not believe them. That's when the women came back from the tomb. These were people that were with Christ, and he had been telling them that this was going to happen, but yet they do, they do not believe. Even when the story was brought to them that this is what happened, they, do not, they couldn't believe what the women were telling them. So, you could be here and then you've heard about the story, you've been in church. You've been in church and you've been around believers. Do you still believe? Do you believe the truth concerning what happened on the cross? Do you have, are you putting your trust in the event that happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross and he resurrected? The disciples had a wrong expectation and understanding of the events. In verse 21, we'll see what their expectation was. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this today is a third day since this happened. You know, they were disappointed that their savior, you know, that their king. They were disappointed that someone that has proclaimed himself to be the Messiah. Had to die this shameful death, this death that is meant for a criminal. Could he be the savior? Then why did he have to die this shameful death? And their expectation was for a human, a, 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 an earthly Messiah. Because at this time, the Israelites were, were under the rule of the Roman Empire. So they were hoping for a, a political, you know, activist. Someone that will liberate them from their earthly masters. But it's far beyond the physical. What Christ came to achieve is far beyond human rights movement. It's far beyond independence. It's far beyond what we see in the physical. They had a wrong understanding of what Jesus was here to do. And you could be seated here and you also have a wrong understanding of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. You've, lo you've learned from the drama very, very practical explanation of what Christ did for us. But you must have a revelation of it. You must have an experience of it. It must not only be mental, but it must go beyond physical to your mind. You must have a deep revelation and experience with this story. This is a story that can be experienced and must be seen evidently in your life. Hallelujah. Now with this, Jesus Christ, verse 21, Jesus Christ, you know, 
Rather in verse, verse, uh, verse 25, he says, Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have said. The prophets have prophesied about the coming of Jesus Christ and all that he was meant to come and do. Hallelujah. For instance, now, prophecy about the suffering of Jesus Christ, we will see it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14 to 15. That is the book of Moses, Genesis, where man fell, and immediately God decreed about the coming of Jesus Christ. Give me that passage, Genesis 3, 14 and 15. And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. When they ate the fruit, and this was a judgment that God was giving. The fruit, it was not apple, but let's assume, let's agree that it's apple. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow, and thy conception in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be unto thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Verse, no, verse 15, not 16. Yes, read from verse 14 rather. 14 and 15. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, yes, this is a declaration. Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thou shalt eat all the days of thy life. And I will, now this is the declaration of God, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Hallelujah. And this was a judgment prophetically announcing the coming of Jesus Christ. And what will befall the devil for what he has done in the course of, you know, human history upon the earth. And when we go to Isaiah chapter 52, from verse 13 to 15, and the entire of, you know, Isaiah 53, we see clearly how prophet Isaiah vividly explained how the Christ is going to suffer. He explained every single thing that will happen to the Savior of the world. And Jesus Christ himself, when he was on earth, even before this experience, he, he had the knowledge of what is going to happen. And he time and time and time repeatedly explained to, what, to the disciples and his hearers about what is going to happen. For an instance now, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, 20, 23, give me quickly, let's rush through this. Matthew 16, 21 to 23. Jesus foretelling his suffering and death in the Gospels. His death was not a surprise to him. From that time forth, he began, Jesus began to shew unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, God forbid. That's what Peter was saying. Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savourest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Hallelujah. Peter never had an understanding. He spoke from the flesh. What Peter was saying was not part of God's agenda for Jesus Christ. Peter was a hindrance because of his lack of understanding of what Jesus Christ was, was come to do on the earth. Hallelujah. And we can see also the same in Matthew chapter 17. Another, another occasion. Matthew chapter 17 verse 22 to 23. Matthew 17 verse 22 to 23. And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. See, Jesus Christ always make it clear. They shall kill him. This is what will happen. They shall kill him, and the third day, he always explained that he will rise again. The third day, he shall, he shall be raised again, and they were vexed exceedingly. They were exceedingly sorry. Whenever Jesus announces his death, it's either their, their countenance changes, they are not happy, they are, they are not, you know, it's something that they were not happy with. They, they don't even understand why Jesus will even die. But they've read it in the scriptures. That was what the book of prophets, the prophets and the Moses have declared about the Messiah of the world. 
Hallelujah. And it was even Peter that made the confession of Jesus Christ as the Son of God. But they were exceedingly sorry. They were, they were sorry. They were exceedingly sorry. Another account, Luke chapter 18, verse 31 to 34. Luke 31, no, Luke 18, 31. Jesus foretelling his suffering and his death in the Gospels. Then he took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. So Jesus here is telling them that what? That all that the prophets have written concerning the Son of Man, concerning he that will come upon the earth to save humanity from the bondage of sin, will be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked. What shall happen to him? He shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on. The next verse. Verse 33. And they shall scorch him and put him to death. And the third day he shall rise again. Hallelujah. Always, always emphasizing that the third day will, he will rise again. The next verse, 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 let's look at their attitude in verse 34. And they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. Hallelujah. They could not comprehend. Why will this Savior die? And some of us are still questioning. Why, why was it always? Why was the cross the only way? Why must this Jesus die? Why can't, Jesus, why can't God just do something else? There could be another means by which man could be saved. Why must it be dead? Why must he even be a man? Hallelujah. Now look at John. John, verse 12, John, John chapter 12, verse 20. Another scenario where Jesus Christ was foretelling his suffering, his death and his suffering. We we'll read to verse 36. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we will see Jesus. Look at what his protocol officers did. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a crown of wheat shall fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if he die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Hallelujah. Now, this is a declaration of what is going to happen when he dies. Unless he dies, when you plant a seed of corn, you don't know what happened to the corn in the soil. What happens is that he dies. Hallelujah. And when he dies, what happens? He shoots out. And then he grows into a stem. And he has branches. And then he bears fruits. He has more corn. Hallelujah. This is the principle Jesus Christ was using to explain why he must die. Verse 26, 25. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hated, it his hated his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled. And shall I say, Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Hallelujah. For this very reason was why he came. This was his purpose. This was his assignment for this very reason that he would suffer and die. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that he thundered. Others said, an angel spoke to him. Jesus answered them and said, this voice came not because of me. What he said, see, I know, I know who I am. I know why I'm here for. But this voice came because of you so that you know. It's for your sake. So that you know that I am the one whom the Father has sent to die for your sins. Hallelujah. The next verse. It says, now is a judgment of this world. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now is a judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Be cast out. Hallelujah. And I, if I be lifted up, the earth 
If I be lifted up the earth upon the cross, that is what it means. If I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. The lifting of Jesus Christ and hanging him on the cross is what draw men unto him. It's a mystery hidden that even the devil did not understand. Hallelujah. Because if he had known, he wouldn't even make an attempt to do that. Hallelujah. This he said, signifying what death he should die. All this explanation is trying to point out to what kind of death he's going to die. The next verse. The people answered him, we have heard out of the law that the Christ abided forever. How sayest thou that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Verse 35. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is a light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. Hallelujah. They still don't comprehend. They couldn't understand. Even when he was saying it clearly, expounding to them the scriptures, making them to see that he is the one that has come to die, they could not still understand. Verse 36. Did I read it? While he, ha yeah. While he have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hid himself from them. Hallelujah. Now, do you believe this light? Do you believe this light that have come to shine out of the darkness to give path unto us that we will, you know, have this access to God? This prophecy about the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ is fulfilled and recorded in the gospel account. These are historic facts and events. You know, these are things that has happened. And when we go through the gospel, for example, in Mark, Mark chapter 11, verse 1 to 11, talks about his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. You know, down the entire Mark 11, Mark 14, verse 1 to 11, also talks about, you know, the way the chief priests were, were manipulating. They are looking for ways they can arrest Jesus and the scribes plotting on how to kill him. Jesus, you know, being anointed by that woman with a costly oil. And then Judas agreeing to betray Jesus. And when we move down to verse 26 of Mark 14, to, to 72, we see Jesus predicting to Peter's denial on him, denial of him. Jesus prays at Gethsemane, the arrest of Jesus Christ, and how they forsook him. Everybody flee away. Give me Mark chapter, let's, let's look at Mark 14, verse 50 and 52. When Jesus Christ was arrested and everybody flee away, Jesus faced the Sahendrin, and Peter's denial was seen there. And they all did what? They all forsook him. Have you ever been forsaken by somebody? Hmm? You love somebody and the person decides to forsake you. They did not only forsake him, but they fled. The Bible did not say they ran, but they fled. Do you know what it means to flee? They flew. Let's look at how they flew. The next verse. And there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast out his neck. Naked body. And a young man, young man laid hold on him. Look at the way he flew. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. This was how they so much flee away from Jesus. Nobody wanted to even associate himself with him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. And Jesus faced this process, this experience alone. Hallelujah. Not only that they fled, everybody, including God, was with that, was not with Jesus. That was the peak of it. Hallelujah. We'll look at it in a, in, a, in a short while. Even God abandoned Jesus. Amen. Why? Because he became sin. Hallelujah. What is the significance of the suffering of Jesus Christ and the death on the cross? What does the suffering and the death of Jesus achieve for us? What are the things that this death has achieved for you as a Christian? And if you are not here, you are here rather, and you've not accepted or you've not believed in this truth. This is what believing in this will achieve for you. Hallelujah. We're going to look at five basic things that this will achieve or this has achieved for us believers. Number one, let's look at it from Mark 15. 
Let's look at that Mark 15. Let me read that Mark 15. Give me Mark 15, uh, verse 33 to 38, quickly. Then we'll look at those five things in a, in a short while. Let Christ, no, 33, Mark 15, 33. And when the sixth hour has come, was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabatini, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he is called, he is called, he called Elias, that is Elijah. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. This is mockery. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Verse 38. And the veil of the temple was rent twine from the top of the top to the bottom. Hallelujah. What is the significance of these verses? Five important things he achieved for us. Number one, Jesus received the judgment we deserve. Hallelujah. And that we receive justification. Through that judgment he received, the judgment that is meant for us, we receive justification to be treated as though we've never seen before. Hallelujah. Verse 33 says that the hour, at the ninth hour, right? And when the sixth hour, rather, had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. There was darkness. Thank God for the drama team that they off the light for us to understand. The light needs to, to go off. Hallelujah. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Darkness, what does darkness mean? Darkness, many times in the Bible, refers to the day of the Lord. Darkness is a symbol of the day of the Lord. Hallelujah. And the day of the Lord refers to the day of God's divine judgment. Amen. Amos chapter 5 verse 20. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark, and no brightness in it? Amos 8 verse 9. It shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in clear day. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 14 to 15. The great day of the Lord is near, it is near, and hasting greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. The mighty man shall cry there bitterly. Hallelujah. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and dissolution, and a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Hallelujah. This indeed is a day of God's divine fury. The darkness is an evidence of God's divine judgment against our sins. Hallelujah. It is actually God executing judgment on the sin of us all that was put on Christ. Amen? That darkness was not just a show of a theater, but was a declaration of God's judgment regarding your sin and my sin. So that we, I and you, can what? Can be justified, can be treated as though we've never seen before. A serious transaction was being transacted in those three hours of darkness. Jesus covered in sin of the whole world was what resulted to the darkness. And God's divine judgment pronounced upon Jesus. Jesus received the full measure of the consequences of our sins that we who will believe will never test it. That darkness, you know, remember the Bible says that they shall be casted into the uttermost, that outer darkness, right? That was a judgment that is meant for I and you. And that darkness is eternal. Amen? That darkness unto us is eternal. That we will be without the light. We will be without God. Jesus tested it for us. That we will never test it. We who believe will never test that darkness. It's a very horrifying experience. That no man can bear. Hallelujah. But if you've not come to believe in this message. Then 
there awaits a day that you will test this darkness for yourself. If you've not even started experiencing it now, hallelujah, it will come in full measure. And at that time, there will be no Christ to carry it for you. Jesus refers to hell as a place of utter darkness. Many times in scriptures, God's divine judgment regarding our sins, regarding what we've done, regarding our nature in sin, and all was poured upon him that we will be justified. We will be set free. We will be treated as those who have never sinned before because of our belief, not because of what we've done or what we shall do, but because we put our trust in this event that Christ has come to do for us upon the earth. Secondly, Jesus was forsaken by God that we might be accepted. Another thing that it was that his death, his suffering brought to us was acceptance by God. Not only that we are justified, hallelujah, say I'm justified, I'm justified, I have received justification, and I'm accepted by God. Hallelujah. Because of Christ, you are accepted. You can never be rejected. No matter what you've done and what you even do, so long as you've accepted this life of Christ, you have accepted by God. That is the only reason why you'll be accepted by God, Jesus, and what he has done for us. Because the consequences of our sin is rejection. Hallelujah. So Jesus, therefore, was rejected for us to be accepted. Verse 34, and the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken because he became sin. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about Jesus Christ becoming sin. Yesterday we were talking about it in the foundations. We said Jesus Christ did not even become, if he was a sinner, it would have been better. Right? Being a sinner is better for you to become sin. That means you are, you are what God fights. Hallelujah. And not only the sin of one man, the sin of the entire world was upon him. The sin of those that were lived before us, the sin of your unborn children, the one that will born hundreds of centuries to come, if God tarries, were all upon him in eternity. So God has to forsake him because God cannot behold iniquity. Hallelujah. God and iniquity has nothing in common. And Jesus Christ has never ceased to be in fellowship with the Father. Up until when he became sin. And he became sin so that he will test the forsakenness of God that we will be accepted. Because that is what, what our sin deserves. At this point, Jesus died spiritually. He died the dead spiritual separated from God. The judgment and the fury and the wrath of God over our sins was fully poured upon him. It was the will of the Father to execute judgment over his Son on our behalf. It was the will of the Father that Christ be, be forsaken that we will be accepted. Hallelujah. So your acceptance before God is not because you've been given offering. In the church, that was why God decided to accept you. It's not because you've been serving. It's because he has forsaken Jesus in order to accept you. Hallelujah. Why does he have to do this? Because our sin was poured upon Jesus. Number three. Jesus suffered mockery and humiliation. Taking away our shame. Hallelujah. Firstly, we say that we receive what? Justification. Secondly, we receive acceptance. And then number three, he took away our shame. It was necessary that the Christ should suffer. It was necessary that the Christ should pass through these things. It was necessary that this Jesus Christ must be mocked. Suffer shame. So that we will be accepted by God. So that we, you know, our shame will be taken away. Mark, 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 uh, let's look at verse 36, verse 16 rather, of that Mark we're reading. Yes. 
And the soldiers led him away into the hall, into the hall called Praetorium. And they called him together. Look at the shame and the mockery and all the things that they, he went through. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him with what? With purple. And plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head. And began to salute him. Hail king of the Jews. And they smote him on his head with a reed and hit spit upon him and bowing their knees, worshipping him. This is mockery. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. And this was not because he wanted to just be a hero, no. Because it was necessity. That is what our sin deserves. That is what your sin deserves. That is what my sin deserves. That is what humanity deserves for our work, for our transgression. And he had to pass through this as a man. In fact, becoming a man is enough humiliation. Amen? Living the glory of heaven is enough humiliation. And come unto those, those who are his, and those who are his come together with the devil. Enter into agreement with the devil. Rejected him. Crucified him. Mocked him. Spit on him. Look at verse 35. And some, some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge and saw wine and put it on his reed and gave him to drink and saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come down to it. It was like a joke. Like, like bringing, this is somebody on the cross. I mean, he is in pain. And what you want to see is a comedy show of the event. Seeing the agony that Christ was hearing what he was saying on the cross. They ridiculed him. The three hours of darkness at least should have spoken something to those bystanders. That something is strange about this crucifixion. It's not as usual. Should have given them a hint that Jesus is different. Hallelujah. And why? So that I and you will not suffer shame. Amen? So when you say God no go shame us, it's simply because Jesus was shamed for our sake. Hallelujah. The Bible says in Psalms 11, Psalms 11 verse, verse Psalms 34 verse 5, it says that this poor man, give me Psalms 34 verse 5, he says, they look unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. Hallelujah. Who do they look up to? They look up to Jesus. And when you as a child of God will look up unto Jesus, you shall know no shame. Because Jesus Christ was shamed for your sake. Hallelujah. This is what is contained in the story of Easter. And the reason why we're exploring this is so that you will know the content of the gift you have. And when you know the content of the gift you have, you can adequately appropriate it in your life. Hallelujah. So when I'm rejecting shame, what I'm accepting is what Christ has offered me in his experience on the earth. Hallelujah. Many of us, with the graphical expression and representation of the cross, with the evidence and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Are we willing to put our trust in Jesus? Because a day is coming that it will be too late. Will you rather go on mocking by not accepting him as Lord and Savior? Will you leave this place? See, to say I don't believe in Jesus as my Savior is saying I'm taking what he has done for, for nonsense. Or of no value. For those who have accepted, how are we living our lives? Are our lives living, you know, are we living our lives with the knowledge of the price and the experience he went through? How much do we value what Christ has done for us? Will be seen in the way we live the Christian life. Hallelujah. How we take the things and our relationship with God. Number four, Jesus died that we might live. Amen? He, he, his death gave us life. His death, his death 
death on the cross gave us life. Verse 37, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. I don't know whether this is how people die. Amen? I believe that even if you see a sick person in the hospital, he's dying. He dies slowly. He doesn't shout and die. Hallelujah. If they shoot someone with a gun, he dies silently. Amen? Why am I saying these things? I'm saying this thing to let you know, right, that Jesus Christ actually gave up his life. It wasn't taken away from him. Hallelujah. This shows that he was completely in charge of everything. Amen? Crying out loud with strength means he was still strong. It wasn't the pain of the nail that was making him shout and scream in agony of pain. But it's the weight of sin of the whole world and the pain of the separation he had from his father. The Bible says he breathed his last. He was not killed against his wish. He, he chose, he chose when to die. He gave, he said, he said it is finished, right? And he gave up his spirit. Why? Because he has the power to do that. John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18 says, Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Not man, no man take it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commanded, this commandment I have received of, the, of my father. So the life was not just seized away from him, but he lay it down. He said it is finished. The timing of his death, he was fully in charge. So he was not killed out of out of uh, surprise. Amen? But he was very intentional about dying because he's very intentional about your life. Jesus is very intentional about your life. For God to have to orchestrate this long process of our salvation simply means that he's interested in our lives. Both here on earth and even in eternity. So when he was hung on a tree, he was hung naked. That was part of the shame he passed through. I could imagine the people that he was healing. I could imagine the crowd. Among that crowd were people he fed. Among the 5,000. They forsook him. The very people that were part of him. Peter was swearing, I will never, Jesus, I will never, but he was so quick to deny Jesus so effortlessly. And same is our testimony, many of us today. At the simplest provocation, we will deny Jesus Christ. Who deny ever knowing him. Number five, the last point. The cutting was torn. He gave us access to the Father. Hallelujah. Not only that he has taken away our shame, but he gave us access to the Father. So you and I can come boldly before the throne of grace and obtain mercy. You, don't, you no longer need a priest. But Christ has given us the access. He's dead. The Bible says, look at verse 38. And the curtain of the temple was torn into two from top to bottom. This was recorded not just as a by information. It is very crucial for us to know that the curtain was torn from top to bottom. I've read so many things about the way the curtain was described. You know, some scientists and some historians were trying to describe the thickness of the curtain. How it was needed, it would take, it would take, it would take serious resources to tear that cotton from top to bottom in that period of time. The cotton was a veil covering the presence of God from the people in the Old Testament that the priest goes in once a year on behalf of the people. The cotton symbolizes the separation of the sinner from God. The sinner was separated from God in Isaiah. Chapter 59, verse 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hands is not shortened that he cannot save. Or is here dull that he cannot hear. But your iniquities, your transgressions, my transgressions, our transgressions, has made a separation between us and our God. And our sins have hidden his face from our face that he does not hear us. But when Jesus Christ came and he died, he restored that relationship. 
you now say, okay, today I've taken away that limitation. Hallelujah. I've given you access to the Father. So you can come to the Father without shame because the shame has been taken away. The guilt has been taken away. It was torn from top to bottom. This must be the hand of a divine being. It is the hand of God tearing down the curtain. This tearing of the curtain nullifies your old order of high priest going to represent the people before God. So you don't need me to access God. Hallelujah. Anywhere you go and any church you, you are part of, I will say this without apology to anybody. Any church you go to and you have to be dependent on your pastor to access God. That is witchcraft. That is manipulation. That is not Christianity. The responsibility that I have as a leader, as a pastor, is to lead you to God. Hallelujah. I am not Jesus. I am not the way. I am not the truth. I am not the life. Even myself, I need the life. I need the way. I need the truth. And if Jesus is not the way, and you know the right way, please show me. Amen? So everybody has access to the Father through Jesus Christ, through what he has achieved for us. Amen. So right in your room, you can speak to the Father. He is your Father. He is not your Father's Father. God has no grandchildren. Amen? He has first-hand children. And you are one of them. So long as you believe. So come to God with confidence that you're speaking to your Father. Because you know why? The sins were paid for. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way, this way is living, living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, his flesh was, 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 was torn for us. That is the symbolism of it. Here comes a systematic change in how we can access God. Jesus' body represents that curtain for us. It was torn from top to bottom. So you and I have access to, for, to, to the Father. You can ask him for things. The Bible says that it is his desire to give us things. Amen. Not only our wants, even our needs and our wants. It's the joy of the Father to give us things. Hallelujah. So we have access to him. Man was prevented from a direct relationship with God. At Eden, the angel protected the garden. The ultimate sacrifice has been made for sin by death of Christ. Now, as a believer now, the curtain has been torn from top to bottom. Scrutinize yourself at this moment. Do you really enjoy this intimacy with God? Have you leveraged on this sacrifice now that you've been a believer? Have you come to this place of intimacy with God that you know him? Have you come to this place that you are enjoying the sacrifice the, the dividends of this sacrifice, the dividends of this investment that God has done in Christ for your sake, in your account, are you enjoying this, 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 this way or these resources or this, this amazing provision God has made for us in Christ Jesus? How is your relationship with God? How is your prayer life? Or do you still need an earthly priest to get you there? But Jesus has done it for us all. Hallelujah. Now, what do all this mean to you? What would be your response to this information you have? If you are born again, or you are not born again, how? Or what would be your response to all that Christ has suffered for you? Because his suffering were for people that are not believers. Amen? The suffering of Jesus Christ, first of all, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, he, what? he died for us. So you may be asking yourself, do am I included? Yes. The Bible says that for God so loved what? The entire world. Whether you are Muslim, you are Christian. Jesus Christ not only died for Christians. Amen? Jesus Christ not only died for the Jews. No. Jesus Christ did not only died for black people or Africans. No. In fact, he did not only die for Europeans or Americans. But the Bible says he died for the whole world. All tribes and all nations and all religions. So when you put your faith in him, you are encapsulated in these promises and this provision of God. So will you leave this place without accepting Jesus as the Christ, 
who has suffered for you. Or you will choose to suffer what you have suffered on your own behalf. There's a choice put before you today. To accept the provision and the sacrifice of Jesus or go away saying I will take the pain myself. I will suffer the suffering myself. And as Christians, those who have believed in this and having this understanding of what Jesus has done for us, it means that we have an obligation to live for him. Amen? That is what he's calling us today. To have this knowledge and this information. There's an obligation upon us. Necessity is placed upon us. Hallelujah. I always say this, that the gospel has a responsibility. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. Give me an amplified, then we close, we pray. This is a message of Easter. That he suffered. He died. And he resurrected. For our sake. Jesus, who is fully God, became a man so that he would pay the price for the sin that we committed. That is the message. And he died for all. Read from verse 14. Give me verse 14. For the love of Christ controls and compels us because we've concluded this that one died for all. He died for all, right? Therefore, what happened? All that died. That is the conclusion of the matter. Amen? Since one have died, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that all those who live will no longer do what? Live for themselves. But for him who died and was raised for their sake. Verse 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a human point of view. According to all the standards, values, though we have known Christ from the human point of view, and now we no longer know him in this way. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, hallelujah, is engrafted. Amen? That's what the death has done for us. That's engrafted us. That's joined us to him by faith in him as Savior. He is a new creature, reborn and renewed by the Holy Ghost. The all things, including your old sins and all garbage, the previous moral and spiritual condition have passed away. Behold, the new things have come because the spiritual awakening brings new life. Hallelujah. Say, Father, thank you for this truth. It's no greater miracle than the cross. The suffering of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that it was necessary. Have you seen the necessity of the suffering of Christ? Have you seen the necessity of his death on the cross? It was necessary that he, that he suffers. It was expedient. It was important. It was to our advantage that the Christ should suffer. So that I and you will no longer suffer. 